0: offside with andrew gunling and jj Devaney. oh yes caught
1: offside from the upper west side of manhattan and from sligo ireland andrew gunling jj Devaney, what's up brother
0: andrew how are you it's it's great to hear from you and uh yeah i'm in the west coast of ireland uh Underneath the Ox Mountains, mm. on a frosty night with a full moon, talking to you about football
1: this is this is beautiful, this is just beautiful. I love something about you being home. It just feels right to me. Uh, I like knowing that you're you're in your homeland. I know what it means to you, especially this week. Now, are you there for St Patrick's Day by coincidence, or was this planned?
0: Purely coincidence. Mm. I was supposed to go over at Christmas. I can that because Omicron was everywhere, and I'm like, this is just not a good time to go. So I pushed it back. It happened to coincide with St Patrick's Day, which I really don't uh, think that much about anymore. When I was a kid, it was a big deal. It's not so much anymore. And uh, it just so happens that tomorrow is St Patrick's Day.
1: In and you will be treating it as a big deal this year, I assume.
0: I'll be I'll be having a few pints of Guinness. By the way, Andrew, the pints of guinness i've had so far i mean good lord unbelievable i had one in foley's in sligo on sunday and it was magnificent it was a work of art and yes folks the difference between guinness in ireland and guinness in the united states it's it's not in it's not inconsiderable no it's It's not something it's a thing
1: we've this has been well documented on this show
0: it has, and uh, did I tell you that I did some digging and I discovered why the Guinness tastes? Yeah, different we did in a whole US? thing on it, did we?
1: Yeah, about but, the barrels it, that it takes. It's in the barrels for a long time, and you know, in that trip from Ireland to the US, it it, it not spoils, but it it's altered in some way. Yeah.
0: Oh no, I well, I I, sh- I should be more clear then, because uh, what you're saying there isn't technically true. Oh. The Guinness that all Guinness is made in Saint James's Gate in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Guinness for export is pasteurized, which must have some effect on oh, the yeah, taste. Oh yeah, maybe
1: that's what it was that you said. We, yeah, I, yeah. I know that we did this.
0: Okay, it's done, but tomorrow we'll be, I'll be able to enjoy some pints of the black stuff that are just otherworldly. I'll put it that way.
1: Well, I hope whatever crimes you commit aren't too egregious.
0: That um, that I didn't enjoy, Andrew. The the leap straight away from Irishness to drunkenness to, to jail time to crime. Um, I think you should think more about the words you say.
1: I used to love St. Patrick's Day in <laughs> New York City. Uh, now, I, I fully admit that it is um, top two in the power rankings of most obnoxious days of the year in New York City. That St. Patrick's Day and Santa Con constantly are flipping back and forth as to which one is actually the most annoying to live here. Um, based on the the general General assembly, the UN general assembly (laughs) for drivers, but that's for a far different reason. This is just by based on the general behavior of everyone. Those two days are, if you are sober in Manhattan, it's an absolute nightmare on those days. It it,
0: it, it was pointed out to me. And and to be truly honest, I have, I don't have really much time for St. Patrick's day anymore. Um, except you know, okay, tomorrow bars are going to be in pubs are going to be a hellscape across the world. You don't you don't want to be in them. Uh, people make things green unnecessarily. Um, and as a history um, major, I must inform you that the, oh. the character that we believe was St. Patrick eh, he probably didn't exist. He was. Written down, and his life and times were written down later by two monks called Mirku and Shira Khan. Many hundreds of years later. And we believe that was all made up. And he's a composite of possibly two figures.
1: What an on-brand moment for you that was. <laughs> let me spread my smugness by blessing you with a history lesson. And in the process, Andrew. let me tell you that St. Patrick wasn't real. I want to
0: rain on all
1: of your fun. <laughs>
0: Andrew, there was there was no St. Patrick, but there is, I'm changing tack, there is a title race, more of which... Oh, Anana.
1: welcome aboard with the rest of us. We've been waiting for you for weeks now. There sure is, my friend. We'll talk about that as Liverpool and Arsenal played earlier today in a massively important Premier League match. Uh, you don't see too many of those coinciding with Champions League occasions, but we had one of those today where uh, our... Our attention was being pulled in in multiple directions, um, so we'll talk about that. Also, we are we're kind of on the eve this time tomorrow. JJ will know the U.S. squad for three of the most important World Cup qualifiers that I can remember. Well, I guess for since the last time around, but you know what I mean. <laughs> these are vital. Since the other
0: ones that I can also remember, but these are like it can't happen again.
1: It can't happen again.
0: Stop! Okay. What? What are you doing? We are we are not there yet. We are we are so many days out. We are in preview mode. We are not in it can't happen again mode. We, I've
1: we I've been in it can't happen again mode for since qualifying began. But now it's coming to a head. So yeah, we're going to do a little bit at the end of this podcast, a little bit of domestic stuff, MLS, Concacaf Champions League, and of course, like I mentioned, the U.S. Men, and uh, kind of take our temperature of, of how we're feeling on the eve of the week. Of the can, I,
0: can I quickly apologize uh, for being a hypocrite there? Because I told you we can't. I told you you can't be in we can't do this again mode. Well, I went into a slight panic this evening hmm. watching a U.S. soccer starlet. Um, um, but we can talk about it It'll that
1: all later. be mentioned. I know who you're talking about already. I was monitoring your Twitter closely. I've oh, got people I, I have hired a team of people around the clock to monitor your Twitter account and our show Twitter account, which I've basically lost all control of. Uh, so I'm well-versed well, well versed in what you're talking about. But, J.J., let's start, let's start with the Champions League, ah, the quarterfinals. We are knowing more and more competitors of the quarterfinals as the round of 16 is wrapping up. Uh, now, where do you want to start? To me, the biggest story to come out of these last two days is Manchester United. I, I figure that's a natural starting place, but it, it also happened on Tuesday, so I don't know if you're one of these guys who demands recency. What is immediate? What just happened?
0: I, I'm happy to go with Manchester United let's because it that. is the biggest story of this round. Let's speak. Well,
1: it yeah, is. it's the it biggest
0: is. story of this round. The second biggest is probably IX's eliminate. Actually, second biggest Juventus elimination, and IX is coming in after that, I suppose.
1: Manchester United are out. Atletico Madrid come to Old Trafford and they come out one nil winners. Now, quickly before we get to the Manchester United side of this, you know, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people in media who harps on negative, who only talks about the negative sides of stories and things like that. So I do want to quickly touch on Atletico Madrid because this was this was really a, a massively important victory for them to get into the quarterfinals. And Simeone, if you talk about who is it most important for, he has finally done it, JJ. He has vanquished his Ronaldo dragon. He had been 0-5 against Ronaldo in Champions League meetings uh, until this. And the sixth, sixth time is a charm is a very common phrase in the uh, – Simeone household. Yeah, their- you
0: you say he vanquished his Ronaldo dragon. I feel as if he didn't vanquish the Ronaldo dragon more than he watched the Ronaldo, a statue of a dragon be wheeled into position every now and again. Um, not do anything. I mean it was a it was a for a man who loves to set records, it was a record setting night for Cristiano Ronaldo who did he even summon a shot no, in this game?
1: He sure didn't. Um, we'll get to that. Like I said, I'm, I'm desperately trying to start positive, but you just well let me
0: well let me tell you the positives are that uh, I tweeted this and I, I really do feel it. Uh, um, you can look at that Atleti team and you can watch that Atleti team in the league and think they're not giving me all the football that they possibly can give me. But let me tell you, folks, they never fail to give you every inch of housery that they can possibly muster
1: it's kind of their calling card like what you just described there is sort of how they've defined an era of atletico madrid football
0: it's it's sort of who they are and usually for the better it Um, is but i i I feel i shouldn't feel wrong saying it because there there was a sense though last night of manchester united the they kind of dealt with it with. Total effrontery. What is this? Well, I have never in all my life. I am outraged. What are you doing? As if they've never seen Atleti play before. As if they had no clue and they fell hook, line, and sinker Mm -hmm. into the Atleti trap. And uh, all Atleti had to do was score once. That's what they did. And United, I think the most disappointing thing from a a United standpoint is that Atleti didn't even have to be that good last night to get through, but they got through.
1: It's true. It, um, it's true. United had a couple moments here and there. I still don't know how Alanga didn't score early in that game. The, the, the ball off of all black's face. I don't, I mean, he's. I guess he's positionally he's in the right spot, but it's just, that's, that's tough moments like that are, are difficult. And he'll and think, I think about the that. San,
0: yeah. The Sancho volley in the second half where we, I mean, it's a, it's a high-difficulty effort, but he catches it really, really well, um, and it just flies over. But but other than that, Andrew, th- that, w- that, was, that was another f- facet of this game for me. You know, it's Old Trafford. The crowd were definitely up for it. They were probably too up for it as they pelted Simeone at full-time, <laughs> but they were really into the game, and what they wanted was to see wave after wave of United attack, like days of yore, pinning Atleti in, Crosses, passes, shots. They saw none of that. It was it was really, really limp. And and it's not like the changes weren't made. It's not like Ralph Ranick didn't throw the kitchen sink at it. You saw Marcus uh, Rashford come in. You saw Juan Mata come on for a center back. Yeah, but Harry that Maguire that's come. one
1: of those like if if that's your break glass in case of emergency. Like Juan Mata, when I saw I that, know. I thought this that's just not i don't know that's is that striking fear into the heart of Atleti at this point in the game probably not it's not and
0: ranic he had he had two portuguese options w- to take off i mean at that point like it was once ronaldo i don't know if you saw this bit into the back of the head of harry Maguire, um where they were both going for that cross that both evaded both of them and and, and ronaldo ended up just Eating skull in a most horrifying fashion. Um, I would have taken Ronaldo off, and I wouldn't have taken Bruno Fernandes off. That said, leave Ronaldo on or bring on Marcus Rashford. I'm definitely leaving Ronaldo on because Rashford came in and did nothing. It was, um, it was one of those nights where if the weekend against Tottenham was enough to, to to make you think that, oh, well, maybe things can be okay, even though it really wasn't a good performance by United against Tottenham. And as Gary Neville said, on another day, they could be beaten. But if it was enough as a United supporter to sway you, this was another result that brings you crashing down to earth and makes you realize just how far off it United really are.
1: Yeah, and this is the one that's more, I mean, look, the, the win over Tottenham was huge because it does keep them at least in a battle for top four. Um, but this is this is a soul crusher you know, this, they're not going to win a trophy this year. Um, And even though this was always going to be a long shot, I think if you were a United supporter, you you could always dream this is Ronaldo's competition. Maybe he's not giving us quite what we wanted in the Premier League, but he's been so clutch for us in this competition. Who knows how far he can take us? Maybe we've got, maybe we won't win it, but we'll have some fun nights ahead of us and to just crash out at home uh, in the round of 16. This this one stings maybe worse than any loss they've had so far this season. I would think, uh, you know, I'll speak on behalf of United supporters there. I, I don't know if they would agree, but that that would be my view of it. Um, one thing on on Simeone that I wanted to mention. So, uh, just to talk about him for a sec, you know, you talk about like we talk about managers and the impact that they make on their clubs, and I just wonder. If we're now at a point with him, like, can you think, JJ, of other examples of a manager being so transformative for what they have meant for a club? Like, if you look, if you look at Atletico Madrid's recent history, so they were relegated in the ninety-nine two thousand season, then promoted back to the first division, uh, La Liga, in o two o three. Their league finishes after that were twelfth, seventh, eleventh, tenth, seventh, then two back-to-back fourths, uh, then ninth. And then 7th. Like, this is kind of what they were. They were sort of just like a middling kind of whatever team. They then yeah. fire their manager in the middle of the, ne- of the next season, in the 11-12 season. Enter Simeone at that point, middle of that season, in December. A few months later, wins the Europa League. A couple months after that, beats Chelsea to win the UEFA Super Cup. Then they go 3rd, 1st, 3rd, 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 2nd, 2nd, 3rd, 1st. Two Champions League final appearances along the way. He has redefined this club's place in European football. Unlike, I mean, what other managers can you compare? I, you can't even say Pep for Man City. They were great before he got there. I mean, is this like, is this like Sir Alex stuff at Manchester United? Uh, maybe you could say Klopp for how he kind of retransformed Liverpool back into right. the European elite. I would maybe put him in that class. But there's there's not many guys that jump to mind that have. Completely retransformed a club in the way that he has for them.
0: I think maybe Klopp at Dortmund is a good example of okay. that. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been absolutely stunning, and the club itself, everything around the club has. And I suppose this is the this is part of why clubs keep looking for these transformative managers <laughs> that they're like gold dust. But you're right, he, everything around the club, the the ecosystem of the club, they move. They've moved into this massive new stadium mm-hmm. since he was there. That's on the back of everything he's done. They're not, They're not in the Wanda if they don't have all that recent success. and you know now they're a team that has competed for for signing young, exciting talent for big money in, in Drow Felix. and for all the the dark arts and the and the eye rolling you see when you are you, 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 you take part in when you watch them. It you can't deny what Simeone's done, and by the way, he's 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 been remunerated <laughs> very very well for doing this. But that's the in, thing is
1: like we sometimes almost make fun of how how much he's paid, but then you look at how he has taken a team that was middling in La Liga and has elevated them to European elite for a decade. Like I was going to say, maybe Pochettino for what he did when he got the Spurs, but by the end it was no longer sustainable. Like, this has been, you know, he, Simeone has lost great players along the way. They have gone to other clubs, and, and he's been forced to cope with that, and, and they're just kind of this machine where they don't really experience a drop-off. Pochettino at Tottenham did, and they're still trying to battle their way back from the end of that. Uh, so, he's unique, you know, and not and his style's not for everyone, but it works, and, and he has transformed them. They are uh, truly a European elite.
0: Yeah, I should probably mention what... Uh, I was just scanning my brain um, for somebody who's done something, um, you know, like transformative, a manager that's taken a club to some place where they could never have imagined. And I suppose Hector Cooper, Valencia. Okay. Okay. He didn't win, but he took Valencia to the final of the Champions League in consecutive seasons, you know, against, they lost in 2000 against Real Madrid and 2001 against Bayern Munich on, on on penalties. That is, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable to think of it. Now it's 20 years ago, but it, it doesn't diminish the, over 20 years ago, but it doesn't diminish the, the achievement. But that's, that's the kind of manager. And he didn't, he didn't sustain it in the same way that no Simeone I mean, we're, has. We're
1: going on a decade, it's a decade now. It's ten years of of this with no no real drop off from them. It's it's pretty impressive. And now here they are in the quarterfinals, going to old, old in the round of sixteen, going to Old Trafford, and booking a place in the quarterfinals. Now let's talk about the United side of it. Um, yeah, you mentioned JJ. Uh, this is I saw one of the things that you tweeted was about you know United are one nil down and. I forget exactly your wording of it, but something to the effect of this this has the makings of a big Ronaldo moment. And it never, it just never materialized. Like you referenced earlier, he failed to record a single shot in a Champions League game when playing the entire game for the first time since May 3rd, 2011, against Barcelona second leg Champions League semifinal. I mean... It's over it's, 10 years.
0: Yeah, and it's... There was two arguments running. Then afterwards, that was look. He's in the argument that I would sign up to is that look. This guy's in decline, and he was he wasn't the right fit for for Manchester United. He wasn't going to take them forward. He doesn't work in whatever germination of a style that was being crafted under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He he, he doesn't fit.
1: Look at the game he was coming off of, though. God was he good. Know, oh I, my I goodness! Know, I know,
0: Andrew, but you know, I suppose you have to really look at the. At the, at the larger picture and how consistently he does things like that. We said at the start of the Premier League season when he was signed, he could score, you know, 20 goals this season. I think it was you said it or I said it. He could score 20, 20 goals this season and United could still be bad. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, he just, he, he doesn't offer you enough up front. Now the, but the, the other train of thought was that the supply to him, the craft and the creativity from those who should have been supplying it, wasn't good enough. So it depends which side of the argument you fall on. Everyone knows at this point that I, I, I just don't think he's a fit for Manchester United, but it was pretty jarring to see him not force anything Nothing. out of Black.
1: Yeah. Not a single thing. I mean, Alanga and Jadon Sancho felt like the two most dangerous players for United in this game. And Ronaldo was, he was largely anonymous. It was uh, really frustrating for him. You could see it all over his face at full time. He looked dejected, as you would expect. This was not this was not how he anticipated this going. I'm sure, um, and so kind of with that in mind, looking at sort of bigger picture United stuff, I feel like that's where we're United have now broken through into that thing, JJ, where every game is some kind of like you know we take stock of of them as a club after each game. Now every game is an indictment of something, but you know. But I was thinking of them and just like just pretend that you're the their sporting director for a sec. And okay. you're in charge of this club. You know The Manchester United that we think of, are, are, even if they weren't winning league titles, they were, it was still a squad filled with global stars. And I'm thinking about this United squad right now, and if you're the sporting director and you're evaluating it, who are the guys at the end of the season in your evaluation that you look at and you check on your list and you say, okay, definite keep, definitely
0: keep, definitely keep. How, how
1: many are there? Well, Any, uh, for me, there's a few, but I, I'm curious who you would say first.
0: Well, right now there's a they're in crisis. So, for example, Bruno Fernandez coming off, which again I'm not sure about that substitution. You see the, the you see his demeanor on the field, and you see his demeanor coming off. It's it's not good. But Bruno Fernandez, you're keeping. Mm-hmm. Jaden Sancho, you're keeping definitely. And then after that, the goalkeeper, I suppose, you're keeping. Sure. Uh, Rafa Varane you're keeping and then you're making a calculation on whether Harry Maguire is in a, a complete slump that he can't, that it's unarrestable. He can't get out of it. Um, I'm, I'm keeping Alanga mm-hmm. and that might be it. We're pretty much like, in lockstep. Mm.
1: I think we had all the same ones. Um, there's one other name that you didn't mention that we'll mention a sec. Because I texted our my buddy and now our kind of mutual friend, Berenson, who is a uh, diehard United supporter. I asked him this question because I wanted a, an actual United fan, what they
0: would say. Oh, is he the best man to go to the
1: <laughs> What does that mean? Uh, At any rate, here's what he said. You can decide. He said, Sancho, Bruno, Elanga, Fred, De Gea, Varane, Lindelof, Shaw, and McTominay. He said I'd keep Dallow and Tellez, too, though they both need daily crossing drills. Bring Brandon Williams back from loan and keep him too. Personally, I'd love to keep Pogba. No one can boss the midfield or make the insane pass that he can make. Regarding Rashford, uh, as out of form and out of favor as he is, I'd keep him. I expect a Sterling Bernardo style turnaround from him.
0: Um, I don't. I mean, he's keeping a lot. He's there. keeping
1: a, way more than I would have thought. Look, I, I like McTomin- McTominay. He's fine. Fred is hot and cold. He was really good against Tottenham over the weekend. Other games he he doesn't do the job that they want him to do. Um mm. so to me like for Manchester United I would say if that's what you're getting out of him then no, he's it's not a mandatory keep for me. Um the one that's interesting that that I was hinting at Pogba. God almighty, there are just moments when I see him play and I just I'm in awe of him. R- right. And then there's moments where he you forget he's on the field. And it's a, well, such a frustrating one because if if he can be unlocked for United, we've and we've said this so many times, so it's almost dumb to keep harping on it. But if he can be unlocked for them in the way wow. that he often is for France, then it's it's an unbelievable player that you have. But they just they just don't get it on a consistent basis.
0: Andrew, he didn't start last night. You know, he didn't start. He had to be. He had to come off the bench. It does not that say everything in the biggest game of the season for the club. He doesn't start. I think. Um, I, I think you're at the point with him where I. He's an undeniable talent, but you, you know, it's just you don't get enough from him. From him, and there are diminishing returns here. And if they really want to get anything for him, he's got to go now. And I think I, I would be, I mean the problem for United is that who is in charge? Who is pulling all the strings? Who is the man who's going to rebuild this? Mm-hmm. We don't really know. We know that this this current manager who by any metric is failing, is going to be a consultant for two years, possibly.
1: Yeah, we'll see. So
0: who are the other who are the other people in the brain trust? that are going to rebuild this side. Don't know. It, does, it doesn't remain clear to me. And there's a lot of legacy issues as well. People who remain on from, who are in and around or involved in the Woodward era, who will still be making decisions as, as United go forward. I don't think anything really can be solved at United until there's a complete overhaul and a a plan for what they want to do. And we, we, we spoke earlier about transformative managers. I don't think it can even start there first. I think they need to realize or figure out what they want to be as a football club, then appoint a, a sporting director, and then appoint a manager.
1: Yeah. The, fact of the, ma- can, yeah. the fact of the matter is, th- this exercise that we just undertook here, um, it's telling. Like, that's just not the norm, I would say, for a club like Manchester United to have so few names... And look, we're we're obviously parachuting in here at a down moment for them. Their form is not great. They were just knocked out of the Champions League.
0: But, but like, we're parachuting in in the last decade. Right. I mean, it's There's, it was funny. The video that was doing the rounds today was the um, was Mourinho, who was manager of Manchester United at the time, uh, after they'd just, I think they'd just been knocked out um, to Sevilla in 2018, 2018 Champions League, I think. And he was just listing United's failures for the previous decade. In European football so this isn't new Andrew this isn't we're not parachuting in a down moment it's been a down decade um
1: yeah no it's it's how do
0: they change this how do they arrest
1: them uh a few peripheral issues with them that don't really have anything to do with soccer itself one I'll start with one frightening one speaking of Pogba I don't know if you saw JJ he tweeted this um which has become an all-too-familiar occurrence. He said, last night, our family's worst nightmare was realized when our home was broken into and burglarized while our babies were sleeping in their bedroom. The burglars were in our home for less than five minutes, but in that time, they took from us something more valuable than anything we had in our home, our sense of safety and security. This occurred during the final minutes of last night's match when they knew we would not be home. My wife and I rushed home, not knowing if our children were safe and un- and unharmed. As a father, there is no feeling worse in this world than not being there to protect your children, and I sincerely... Hope that no one ever has to feel what I felt last night. It is for this reason that I would like to offer a reward for anyone who has a clue to help us. Please send any info to rewardpogba at gmail.com. That is terrifying. This happens an awful lot. And you wonder, like, is it is it enough of a problem now where clubs are going to start have to have to like provide their players with security personnel during matches? Because it's just become like it's just become a thing. Burglars know guys aren't home. They know that they're multimillionaires, and this is what they do. And the fact that his children, his babies, were home when this happened—that's that's really frightening. So, yeah, not not good. And I hope that uh, Pogba offering a reward does help catch whoever did this. Um, also, JJ, I know that you you probably will roll your eyes and recoil in horror at this, but it's possible there's been this talk about refuberations to Old Trafford, but now the talk is that the stadium might be demolished, so a new stadium can be built. And I know how you feel about, you know, these kind of pearls of the Premier League, these stadiums that have been, been in existence forever being knocked down. This, Even though you're you're no United fan, but I would imagine that you would not love to see Old Trafford knocked to the ground.
0: No. Um, well, it's I've seen it. I saw the... The last major, major, because they've added pieces on over the last 20 years, like they filled in the corners to get it to like 70 or 75,000 capacity. Mm-hmm. And the main stand, I remember when that was completely refurbished. But the stand on the other side, there hasn't been very much done with that since the 1980s, if anything. So the the, the side that you don't see, the camera, the camera side. Um, And I, I remember the Stretford End being refurbished. But I also remember the, the pictures of when um, it was bombed by the Nazis mm. uh, where, the, where it was smoldering. So I think, I mean, they're going to stay there. You know, they're going to stay at Old Trafford, I, I'm assuming, because I haven't really seen these reports, Andrew, but um, I'm, I, I'm kind of, I'm okay with, with a refurbishing of the stadium or a rebuilding of the stadium on the original site.
1: Okay. What if I told you a cheese room was centerpiece to the new refurbishments?
0: They must avoid the cheese room. Okay. They must avoid it. It's uh, a big Roy hot Keen, button issue with you. Roy Keane was ahead of this. He 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 commented again 20 years ago about the atmosphere with at Old Trafford was beginning to dwindle, he said. That winning had become so ingrained that supporters came along and that they were a certain type of supporter, and he he coined the phrase "prawn sandwiches." They have their champagne and their prawn sandwiches, and they're not really watching the match. So they must avoid the cheese room because that's the logical next step from the prawn sandwich brigade.
1: And uh, finally, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but did uh, did Christiano Cristiano Ronaldo bring Tom Brady out of retirement?
0: Uh, unbelievably. <laughs> Uh, Tom Brady turned up at the one game where Ronaldo didn't look like, like I said, uh, uh, he didn't look statuesque, and he put in an amazing performance. And um, I think Brady, it never, like Ronaldo aside, I, it never felt like Brady was was really retiring. I didn't believe it. It didn't. It didn't. He didn't want to do it.
1: He didn't want to, yeah. No, I it
0: agree. didn't seem, you know, when he said that that was it, it didn't seem comprehensive. It didn't seem like he was all in on retirement. And uh, the
1: the links are interesting though, because the Glazer family owns Manchester United. They also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, mm -hmm. and I wonder—I just wonder—if there was like a—if they knew he was Tom was wavering, and they're like, "Why don't you come out watch a game, knowing that you know Ronaldo is kind of there's not many guys in that class that like the the Brady Ronaldo Lebron Messi. It's kind of like a a class of just a few guys who have been who have been at this for, for for a generation. That can relate with one another. And so mm-hmm. when, when Brady saw Ronaldo doing that, I just wonder. And then you saw him, they t- they're talking after the game. Ronaldo, you can, you can hear him. He said, so you're done, right? And you can't tell what Brady says, but the look on his face was no. And then sure enough, the next day you find out it's official. He's back. I just wonder, maybe he'd made up his mind already. Maybe it had nothing to do with it. But I just wonder if watching Ronaldo do that and then talking to him afterwards, if it just pushed him a little bit over the ledge.
0: Yeah, the, the the Glazers um the I mean the Glazers know nothing about soccer or football and very little about Manchester United it would seem. So maybe if they were trying to convince um Brady to come back, they took him to see Ronaldo and they just happened upon a good Ronaldo performance. You're you're um, vicious, you're vicious just I mean that's not I mean <laughs> take it take them uh, take uh, take any other game um during the season and maybe brady thinks yeah i'm done but uh, no i don't think he was ever retiring
1: no. um let's see we continue now jj a few other champions league results obviously that we want to get to Lille and chelsea chelsea are through they win uh on aggregate 4-1 as they advance to the quarterfinals back-to-back seasons chelsea are in the quarterfinals obviously they won it all last year reigning champions they continue through um the big moment in this, obviously, so Leal had gone up. Uh, Burek Yolmez had scored to put Leal up. Felt like that this could be, um, this could be in some way worrisome for Chelsea. And then our guy Christian Pulisic, right before halftime, tough angle, far corner, huge moment. I mean, a huge moment for Chelsea to be able to breathe a sigh of relief with that goal. You know, we talk a lot about important goals for Pulisic. I would say, you know, if we're ranking them, one of the most important goals of his club career to get that and, and really push Chelsea through into the quarterfinals. Great moment for him. His seventh Champions League goal, three more than any other U.S. international. Four of those have been in the knockout stage. Four knockout stage Champions League goals. That's tied with Chicharito for uh, CONCACAF players.
0: Um, yeah, so. and I wonder, are the Ricketts family watching this and thinking, there's our boy scoring a goal? Mm-hmm. Are they that bit closer to... To getting this thing together, as we hear that the Chicago Cubs owners really want to buy Chelsea.
1: Yep, uh, can't hurt, I would think. Seeing a seeing an American, the face of American soccer, playing like that, American owners, I think could would be taken in some way. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I guess. Look, ultimately, it's a money thing. Mm. So stuff like that, sure that that might mean something in a sentimental way, but if the money's right, then then yeah, well, there'll be a deal. Uh, not if we're talking about Americans in this game, not a great moment for Tim Weah. Came on as a sub, and then the goal that really put it out of reach. Uh, Cesar Azpilicueta ran in right behind Weah. Just Weah lost him. Tried to recover. It was too late. Couldn't get back. And Azpilicueta finished to seal the deal. May not have mattered, but that was that was the exclamation point. And uh, so not a great moment from Weah. Chelsea's central defense I thought was maybe a little bit shaky. In this one, I mean, it, overall, you might look at it and say this is you know four one on aggregate, fairly comfortable. There were some moments, um, yeah, big gap in the middle of the box for a Zeca free header that he just missed. Um, you know, so Leal had a, a couple moments here and there, but uh, overall, it's uh, Chelsea as they roll along. Two years in a row now, very successful in this uh, in this competition.
0: I also saw, uh, and I only saw bits and pieces snippets because it was obviously engaged in the other game but um, I saw Chalabat do the exact same tackle after he got skinned by was it Jonathan David I can't remember who who just absolutely skint uh, for Lille went by him and he did the exact same tackle Tackle he did on the weekend at Jacob Murphy which should have been a penalty but um, he got penalized for this now, it was, out, it was a judge to be outside the box, but it was almost identical to what he did. But in England, no. But in Europe, yes. <laughs> Going to show the the kind of difference. The let it flow policy has not made its way through to the Champions League.
1: Um, so congrats to Chelsea as they are through to the quarterfinals. One thing, while we're talking about them, I, I texted you over the weekend. I mean, obviously this made news. The, uh, the request from Chelsea to play Middlesbrough behind closed doors in the FA Cup quarterfinal.
0: Unbelievable. It
1: has since been rescinded, but I mean look, the milk is out of the utter. Like it doesn't change the fact that that it's what they wanted and they went they took the steps to try to make it happen. I, a couple things with this. First, it is I really look at it as one of the most deranged and like detached from reality requests ever made. Ever. Arrogant. Like, I-, I couldn't believe it. I had to look at the statement twice to make sure I wasn't being fooled by like a parody account. It was that absurd to me. The second thing with this, like on what planet is not having traveling support directly equatable to not allowing a team to have home support? Like, is, would anyone say that those two things are aligned with one another? It's madness to think that. And the
0: fact it was the reigning European champions and world champions asking this of Middlesbrough.
1: So that's my last part to this. Ugh! Like, when you think of the grounds for which Chelsea made this request, they asked for Borough to not have home fans in the name of, quote-unquote, these are not my words, this was in the Chelsea statement, in the name of sporting integrity. JJ, imagine, imagine Uh the nerve of being reigning european (laughs) champions having one of the most expensive teams on earth and playing a club in the division beneath you and asking that that team play behind closed doors at home for sporting integrity what whose idea was this who, who thought that this was a thing that could happen that made sense? When has sporting integrity ever mattered to Chelsea? This is a club that is two years removed from being dealt a transfer ban for 150 rule breaches involving 69 academy players. Did sporting integrity matter at all to them then? But it matters now. It matters now. This is the club that essentially, I mean, we've talked about this. This is the club that permanently sent transfer payment structures into orbit. On the yep. back of a Russian oligarch who is friends with Vladimir Putin. And that's the other thing with this, JJ. Like, they're making this request of a championship level club who, let's be honest, may not be back in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup for, I don't know, what, 50 years? Like, and they're making this request not because of any kind of sympathetic cause, but because your owner has been sanctioned for his ties to an autocrat and had his assets frozen. <sighs> like, it's not like we're. There, it's not like there was any kind of suffering from a natural disaster or something that, like, would be a noble cause that everyone would get behind. No! The complete and total opposite. This is
0: bat crazy. I couldn't I, even believe it. It was it was an absolute stunning read. Uh, a read that made you chuckle. And, and, you know... Like, was there no one in the room who could have just been like, uh, guys? Like, no one? They all thought, yeah, this is reasonable. Like... <laughs> If, if this uh, the way after reading that statement, the <laughs> the very thin, shallow reserves of goodwill that existed towards Chelsea and their supporters between them chanting Abramovich's name on mass, by the way, at away games and this statement, like if the club folded tomorrow morning, a lot of people would be. Just good riddance. <laughs> well, good hold on. Ridden.
1: So here's here's one yeah. thing that I want to say. I'm glad you bring up the Chelsea supporter angle of it. And look, I the, the Channing Abramovich's name that's something that, uh, I, the, the, that I don't, the worst. They're don't the approve of, works. But, but here's what I would ask though. Look, we know I know Chelsea fans. They're not they're not the worst people that I know. I know that there's an element of that fan base that is, is repugnant. So, yeah, um, but but like. Look, I'm a Tottenham fan saying this. You're a Liverpool fan. They don't want to hear it from us. I understand that. But but they have, well, it's time, but they it's have time to they know, though. It's like, time they took their medicine. But I'm just saying, like, they, when even when they saw this, like, look, you can. it doesn't make you less of a fan of a club to look at something your team is doing and thinking, guys, have you all lost your mind? Get back to reality. like. Chelsea fans, blink twice if you agree. You may not want to say it out loud. You may not want to agree with the Spurs fan who's belittling your club, but just clap, flick the lights on once or twice to let me know that you, that you hear and you agree, but you just don't want to say it. Because a normal, sensible person couldn't have looked at this and thought that, yeah, that makes sense. Like, this is exactly what we were talking about. When when you spend too much time in the penthouse, you lose grip on reality. The world is just like, you, you can't relate anymore to what is normal, and that's them. They've, they've spent so much time in another world that they've lost their sight on everything.
0: But, but also, Andrew, I, you know, I'm sick of, you know, tiptoeing around them. You know, we, we made so many com- accommodations for Newcastle supporters and their behavior since they've been bought out by a murderous regime. And now we have to, you know, oh, well, you know, we know all Chelsea supporters aren't like this. Screw it. I'm well, done with that. Well, they're not. They're not.
1: I know Chelsea fans who aren't like that. Who who will look at this and say, "Good lord!" There's guys. not. Oh, I'm
0: not a hearing from enough of them. <laughs> Maybe you have a byline to um, supporters dot org, yeah, or whatever chat. What Do I get. registered
1: that site years ago? <laughs>
0: uh, this was.
1: I mean, and it, you know, it's interesting because it, like, the the reason that you know, remember, this is the club that like kind of ended the Super League. Yeah, you know, so there is there are fans there that have like there, the there are some League. fans there that do have some grip on reality, oh, but it's
0: the club that doesn't. They were the fans were cheering when when we look back at that now, first of all, ending the Super League. They were also part of starting the Super League. That's like me going to your house, setting it on fire, and then asking for praise after I call the fire brigade. Stop. Come on. And also, in hindsight, those supporters of Chelsea that were singing, we save football. No, what happened was they saved their version of football. Could you imagine the incandescent rage if they were told, all right, you've saved football, but now your sugar daddy owner is going to be taken away from you and you will have to be normal again. Can you imagine how they would have reacted to that if the, if that was told to them a year ago? Yeah. The, The entitlement that has been built in that club for the last 20 years I don't, I don't know my, my my reserve. I'm sure there are very nice Chelsea fans out there, yes. and, and there they definitely are in the US because I've met some of them. But
1: and look, I'm sorry it, that this is what a segment on them winning not the Champions sorry. League did, but it just had to, it was that I don't know. It was it just it just resonated with me in in a way that was almost. I don't want to say different than the Super League. That was we did three emergency podcasts in three days. Obviously, that resonated with us in a massive way. But this was there was a level of arrogance to this that like was really offensive. Like like how dumb are do they believe we all are that that they think people will get behind this? I don't know. Anyway, it just it set me off. Like I texted you right away. I said this. This can't be real. Please talk, talk me off the ledge that this is actually a thing that could happen. And Middlesbrough right away put out a statement said we in the strongest way possible will fight this. It ain't like good for good for Burrow, because <laughs> come on. Uh let's see, Juventus Villarreal. Wow. Whoa. Three nil Villarreal at Juventus. And they win the uh they win it on aggregate four one. Stunner, JJ.
0: I- amazing. Uh, Juventus suffered their joint heaviest home defeat in the UEFA Champions League, with two of the four occasions when they've lost by three goals coming against Spanish sides. Um, Juve out been,
1: out in the round of 16, three straight seasons. Yeah, for the first time,
0: they are. Um, I mean, I, I I think what was not not that they thought they'd solved everything, but you know, some of the signings that they've made, including you know Vlavic. I I definitely think that they 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 thought they'd figured it out. They'd moved on from from the Ronaldo era. They bought in Locatelli. Um, you know, <laughs> this is just we're talking about the Super League founders and and taking their medicine. I mean, what must Andrea Agnelli be feeling Oof, right now? Yeah, the, uh. this this was something that was uh, 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 certainly a tie that when they saw it, okay. We're, you know, we're into the next round, mm-hmm. but um, but no, they they somehow conspire. You have got to give a lot of credit to uh, to Villarreal. Oh, yeah, they, of, they continue, of course, they continue to punch way above their weight. And uh, and we're, we're talking about turning around clubs, talk about turning around someone's resume after a pretty wretched time at Arsenal. Unai Emery, mm-hmm. amazing, and I suppose it, it's worth mentioning too that you know, Juventus went to reset. They went to reset the team. They went, they did make changes to the side. And, but they also reset by bringing back in, uh, Allegri. And I mean, he must be absolutely, well, he is raging. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's pretty upset. And, um, now he did say that, uh, he said the season hasn't been disastrous. Um, he said that's intellectual dishonesty. I'm not sure how we can come up with that, because it does seem like another disaster for Juve. But um, yeah, and, and and again, not a, another bad look uh, for Syria, Andrew. The the league that is being pushed and pushed by uh, I mean many people in, in in the states as well as a league that we should pay attention to. And look, I'm I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy football wherever you get it in whatever form you want, but. It's not very good for for Syria to see um, so many of their top sides just dispensed with at this stage of the competition.
1: Two years in a row, I believe they don't have any teams in the quarterfinals. It's not great. It's not great. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'll say on behalf of Juve, I mean, look, there's no there's no sugarcoating what happened here. To lose three nil at home to bow out of the Champions League to a team that you believe you should be far superior to, um, awful, awful. But like to watch the first half of this. Matt, like if you watched the first 45 minutes and then got pulled somewhere didn't see the re- you you would never think that this is how it was going to end. I mean they were like Villarreal's goalkeeper, Geronimo Rulli, he he kept them in this game with great goalkeeping. Uh Juve hit the crossbar. Murata had a header from point blank range really early on that was saved. Vlahovic yeah. had a header from point blank range off of, of the corner. Um couldn't get a ton of power behind it, but Rulli's positioning was perfect was able to smother it. Like Juve They had chances, uh, but in the second, they, they, you know, we talk all the time about the most important thing you can do is convert the opportunities that you're given. And Juventus, they weren't able to do that. And Villarreal just, once the dam burst, I mean, maybe you could see Juve slump a little bit with that first goal. And then Villarreal just, they kicked on. And next thing you know, it's it. Gone. Pretty shocking. Uh, Yeah, it was.
0: I mean, it all, it, Like you said, it all just happened in in a short space of time Um, from the 78th minute, then Pau Torres in the 85th and then 90 plus two. It was the world just collapsed so quickly. And, you know, a lot of the time in Europe, Villarreal stay in games. That's that's one of the things that they do very, very well. And um, it's just another stunning, stunning exit for Juventus.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then finally, speaking of stunning exits, Ajax out to Benfica. And those poor people in Amsterdam are forced to witness another crusher of a defeat. 1-0, late goal from Benfica. And uh, and they are through. The Portuguese side is through 3-2 on aggregate. And you look at Ajax as, I don't know, maybe having been one of the best one, two, or, or three clubs in terms of group stage performance. Um And they had chances in this game. My God, free header after free header after free header. All of them wide or over the bar, not being able to put any of them on net, but they had their opportunities. And then Benfica get one chance on a header, coincidentally, and they convert. It was their only shot on target in the entire match. All the work that Ajax had done, all of their opportunities, nothing to show for, much like Juventus. And it's it's Benfica who take advantage. Just... Just a killer for Ajax.
0: Yeah, an absolute killer. And a killer for us neutrals who who just love watching them play. But I feel as if they gave everything now in the in the group stage and just came up short. But I, I have been surprised with Benfica. Now, I know Benfica only had one shot in target all last night, but um, Darwin Nunes' goal. But, you know, they've done really, really well to get mm-hmm. to this position. And in Rafa Silva, they have a player that I really, really like. If you love um, Premier League centre-backs of yesteryear, then you're very happy that uh, Vertonghen and Otto Mendy have made it this far in the Champions League. Yeah, it's if interesting because
1: I saw Vertonghen, obviously, at Benfica, and Villarreal with Lacelso and Serge Aurier, um, and uh, Francis Coquelin as well. Um,
0: Adele rapt Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> kind of there's something for everyone in this Benfica team. But... Again, it's amazing how the, the the Champions League and the last again the last twenty years I suppose has conditioned us to to really think about who the big teams are and going into this obviously IX were favourites favourites with, with good reason but we kind of forget the support and the history and as Jose would say the heritage of Benfica. I mean, this is a massive club and there are so many of their supporters, Andrew, who will have watched uh, rivals like Porto um, be regularly in this competition and and regularly doing better than Benfica and certainly much better in in terms of winning the competition, albeit the last one was under Jose Mourinho. Um, But Benfica will say, this is our rightful place. There will be so many of their supporters will be just delighted to be there but also thinking yeah hey we belong here look at our history
1: yeah um you're right you're absolutely right but uh ajax were just such a joy in the group stage and generally just play a nice brand of football but i would say benfica as well i don't think it's uh
0: there's a general sense of i mean it was absolutely and and please don't jump down my neck but it was criminal the way that they were denied their place in that champions league final in 2019 I mean,
1: criminal feels strong. It's not like it, it wasn't an injustice. No, it was it's not like there was no, a bad those call. Were, that,
0: those were the rules, and they they couldn't, they just could not navigate through the ninety minutes in the in uh, the Amsterdam arena and get the job done. So there was no injustice. You're correct, but it did feel for some of us like this team has unfinished business in the Champions League, and we're we're still willing it. Four years later, or three years later, to get it done, and and they haven't managed it. Yeah,
1: that was a, another soul crusher. I mean, there was the one clip I saw afterwards of like a grown man, big grown man, just in tears. Like
0: <laughs> it's also bad for the Manchester United. It's been a bad week for bad ten days for Manchester United's prospective managers, with Pochettino somehow blowing what seemed to be a pretty strong position against Real Madrid and uh, now Eric Ten Haag mm-hmm. exiting. So. Mm. Yeah,
1: not good. Not good. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, there's some Premier League stuff to talk about. Arsenal and Liverpool met earlier today. We'll talk about that. Um, we've got a little bit of U.S. stuff to do as well. So still a bunch more here to get done on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on caught offside.
0: JJ, when do you come home? I'm home on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Okay. All right. Why, are you missing me? Of course.
1: Of course I miss you. I can feel, uh, there's something, it's like a, what is it that, uh, Spider-Man has, like a Spidey sense or something, that something's yeah. wrong. It's how I feel when, the, the moment you've left, like, U.S. airspace, I, I know. I get us, I woke up, I shot up out of bed the other night. <laughs> JJ. Oh have said, what, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, he's he's exited American airspace. I can I can feel it.
0: I, I, I do feel I'm, I'm flying back into the storm. We're coming straight back on Sunday, and me and you are just straight into World Cup qualifying mode and international mode. Oh, I feel like as if I won't have a break. It's bang, there we are, right in the midst of it, where, where we love to be. That's the space we like to occupy.
1: I know. I have grown so much to love World Cup qualifying for whatever pain it has caused I just I look forward to it and uh yeah next week we'll talk about that in a sec. First though the prem the premiership the premier league the title race JJ you referenced at the start of the show you're a believer finally and why shouldn't you be? You're now 1 point behind Manchester City both of you having played 29 matches. I mean what what else could be done to convince you that this is a title race other than that? It's it's here. It's happening. You need to embrace it.
0: Yeah and uh, I like I said it it would require a little help and that help was given at seller spark on Monday night. Although how much help crystal palace gave and how much self-inflicted damage was done by Manchester city. I think uh, if you watch that game again, there was some pretty poor uh, shot conversion. I'm, certainly I'm thinking of the Bernardo Silva chance where he should have just gone around the, didn't even need to go around the keeper could have just rolled it home, but tried to go around gaita and uh, ended up running the ball out over the end line. But it did finish nil-nil, and that teed it up for tonight at the Emirates, where Liverpool travelled to London. And a win was... It was such a massive game, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool did get the it win. It felt big. The crowd it, it, was it re- up for it. Uh, it really did feel, feel big, and I think... You know, it wasn't... It wasn't that everyone, if, if City had won on Monday night, that everyone was going to ignore the game. That wasn't the case. But certainly when that result, when that nil-nil came through and, you know, the pressure was immediately on Liverpool and it was it was a must-win game and they did manage to do it.
1: So how did it get done? I mean, this was, for the first well, half, it, how... was, it
0: was tight.
1: No Mo Salah to start. Which was interesting. He's fit, Klopp said.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think uh, what Klopp said about Salah was that he was he had trained yesterday to find out whether he would be good to play, but he hadn't trained trained to be you know done the proper training required to start, so they left him off. And uh, as it turned out, that was that was <laughs> that was okay. Um, I thought, first of all, let's start with Arsenal. I thought Arsenal were really good, Andrew, um, in the first half very compact, resilient, were winning second balls, they were winning their challenges, they weren't allowing Liverpool to play through midfield. Um, They didn't, I don't think at any stage in the game they really created a massive chance themselves. Except, and it wasn't created by them, the chance that came along in the second half when Thiago rolled in a pass back to, I don't know who he was trying to pick out, but it was latched upon by um, lacazette i think uh, who squared it back to Odegaard and Allison just makes a brilliant save from Odegaard that was a had arsenal scored there then we are looking at a different game because i think arsenal for the first first half certainly and the first opening minutes of the second half were the better side then arsenal it was a piece of brilliance from Thiago to find Jota but it was Arsenal just ceasing to be compact and to be well-organized. Cedric goes to... he Basically, Jota kind of makes the run and Thiago fakes to go wide and Cedric kind of steps up and he just leaves the gap. And again, like I said, they're no longer compact. Jota runs in and he just... He drills a shot to the near post and Ramsey, Ramsdale, excuse me, gets far too much on it. You know, he will be disappointed. From uh, that angle too. That uh, yeah, exactly. Now there is a there there's definitely a group of Arsenal supporters that don't think he's everything that people think he is. And they feel that the save against Leicester and a couple of big high profile performances have kind of covered over some of his errors. But I mean I they were he,
1: singing his name over the weekend.
0: Right, yeah. Um, But there are other people who are not fully convinced yet, and uh, that was one of those shots where you're like, "Ah, he's got to do better. And then um, Liverpool, uh, Klopp had decided he was making some changes, and one of those changes was the man who scored the goal. Jota was taken off. Bobby Firmino came on, and the second goal really, to me, was a classic example of what Klopp, has talked about in the past about saying if you don't have an out and out number ten in a pressing game, the over the you know the turnover can be your number ten because if you turn it over in the right position, you're in or you're in an advantageous area of the field, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Firmino came in, he he turns the ball over, runs down the line, cuts it back. Robertson has a shot, the ball breaks out wide, and a key moment in um, Saka's education. Bakoye Saka's education. He should have put his foot through that ball and made sure it goes out over the line or away. Robertson presses him. He gets it. Saka kind of pulls out a little bit. Uh, Robertson gets down the line, centers to Firmino, who has the deftest touch to put it under the body of Ramsdale. And it's game, set, and match just like that. And that's the Liverpool depth that they have now considering the signings they've made. And the way that they've been able to bounce back from injuries and have a full squad available, but I just on Saka, Andrew, when you watch it again, he's got to do better. And if Mikel Arteta is the manager that we believe he is um, becoming, he will give Saka the bollocking of a lifetime because that was the that was the key moment and uh, two nil. But I but I thought Arsenal were so much better than the first game, the four 0. They're so much more organised. They've really, you know, with Lacazette in the role that he plays, uh, Martinelli and Saka, they've got they've got something going there, Andrew. I Mm -hmm. think they might be another midfield midfielder short, possibly another fullback. I thought Tierney was good, but maybe they they're short in another area. But um, thought Martinelli impressed me. He he had a lovely nearly had one of
1: the moments of the season.
0: Yeah, down the left hand side where he. He had the nutmeg and he brought it down the line and then centered it, but it was cut out. And that was kind of the story of Arsenal. No major clear-cut chance apart from that one that Tiago created for them. But um hugely entertaining game and something that Liverpool ground out. And but on the first half performance of Liverpool and Arsenal's very good performance, this, this was not a, by any means a, a sure a surefire thing. And 2-0. 2-0 is a good result, but it doesn't tell the full story of the game.
1: Well, I'll say this. To me, you touched on the biggest issue. Um, you kind of casually mentioned their depth playing a key role. I mean, we we talk all the time about how Manchester City, it's almost unfair. They can just guys can get hurt, Ruben Diaz can get hurt, it doesn't matter. You know, Liverpool are not that much different. The fact that they can play a midweek game of this kind of importance on the road. Against Arsenal, who right now we believe are in the driver's seat for top four, although that took a little bit of a hit tonight. But I would still say they'd probably be my pick. Um, the fact that Liverpool can go into that game and sit their best player—I mean, I know he came on as a sub—but you know, like Mo Salah is possibly going to win, probably going to be player of the season, and like you can sit him in that game and still win two-nil. That's they have—they're maybe not quite to City level. But like they're in, they're not far off of that. They're in that vicinity. Um, Yeah.
0: And it's been, it's been built gradually and also has not been always apparent to people like me because players, certainly in the last 18 months, haven't always been available. Right. And and now they are. So, um, yeah, very enjoyable game. I got to say.
1: You're right there. Right there, Andrew.
0: It's on. Um, There was an interesting debate. So, Jamie Carraher on was on the Sky commentary, or Sky analysis after the game. He says he now believes that people inside Liverpool Football Club will believe that this is there for the taking, that it's their championship to lose, even at this point. Paul Merson pushed back against that and said he would sooner be in City's position, still being a point ahead at this this stage in the season. Um, Albeit, if Liverpool win all their games, which does include a trip to the Etihad, Liverpool will be champions.
1: So they, I mean, they both control their own destiny because of that match remaining against one another.
0: <sighs> yep, very much so. But Liverpool's Mer- still
1: going for the for the quadruple, by the way.
0: M- Merson and Merson and Souness were in, in, in. They had this debate over over who, what position would you rather be in? And uh, yeah, the quadruple talk is. I mean, uh, it, would it seems
1: be. like the exact kind of thing that you would fully buy into.
0: Oh, I, it's so hard for me because it's it's never. <laughs> I'm being
1: sarcastic. I mean, I'm sure Yeah, you it's, so, hate hard. The it's mere just so hard to envision of the it. word.
0: I remember when United did the treble in 99 vividly, clearly and thinking just what an achievement. What an unbelievable achievement. So it's it's almost my my pea brain, my 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 football brain can't even extend to the thought of a quadruple not yet.
1: Uh quick trivia question for you with regards to Arsenal. They've now lost this is according to Opta Uh, Arsenal have now lost 25 Premier League games against Liverpool, their joint highest tally of defeats versus single side in the competition's history. Level with this side.
0: Manchester United.
1: That's correct. That is correct. There you go. So, yeah, this season has presented us with a title race, um, a very competitive race for top four, a very interesting relegation battle. I mean, we're in mid-March here and we've got the trifecta working.
0: Um, I'm... Yeah, I'm fascinated by what's happening at the bottom of the table right now.
1: A uh, couple quick hitters on a few other Premier League things. Uh, more despair for Everton as we're talking about the bottom of the table. They lose over the weekend. Red card. It's um, yeah, it's not it's not clicking. Uh,
0: uh, Andrew, I, I. It's amazing. I'd love to get some of our listeners here to to kind of really capture, or maybe they notice it in, in back in the states just how much the sky panel of Carragher and Neville kind of set the table or set the tone for the conversation around the Premier League. And they're very, very good at it. They had a brilliant conversation over ownership in the Premier League, you know, coming out of the Chelsea um, situation at the weekend. But Carragher had a line about Everton. And he said that, he basically said, now he wasn't absolving the managers, but he was just saying They've gone through so many managers. At some point, Everton have to look at their players. And he said in very, very forthright. Didn't we say this?
1: Like, we've said this multiple times.
0: Right. But, but we didn't, I don't think we've gone as far as to say he felt that uh, this season, Everton's players have been, and this is a quote, a disgrace. Yeah. Now, that is strong. Is it inaccurate? That, That, where I'm going with this is not it's not making a a judgment on whether they're a disgrace or not. It's more judgment on what the response from their newly appointed manager to that comment should be. If I'm that manager in the depths of a relegation battle, I am defending my players. What Frank Lampard had to say was not exactly a complete refutation of what was said. He basically kind of came up with, well, which is true. Well, the only place we can, we can, uh, you know, combat that talk. And I'm paraphrasing is out on the field. And I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But I do think as well, if you're in that position, you need, and you, I suppose you've already done a press conference after the Spurs game where you washed your hands completely of anything that happened on that night. It was all the players. Maybe this is one where you say, no, I'm not having that. I don't think our players are disgraced. I think that's absolutely. No, they've been brilliant. No, but you don't have to say they've been brilliant, but disgrace. Disgrace is such a strong word. Although I I feel it's another word that's been denuded over the, in, in modern parlance, especially in football, because it gets used so much. Oh, he's a Disgrace. I mean, a disgrace. It's it's. I feel like back in the day, it was a much stronger term that wouldn't be bandied about so regularly. But my point being is, Andrew, I think you've got to back your players a bit more than old Frankie L is doing right now.
1: Jesse Marsh picking up his first win in really dramatic fashion.
0: What, what a moment. What an absolutely amazing moment. And Rafinha to keep the ball alive. Yeah. I get Gelhardt to make the run, but Rafinha's cutback was so good. Andrew, how many times have we seen players in that position? The cutback doesn't make it. They try a shot. They do something. They shouldn't perfect weight. And Gelhardt. all he had to do was put his foot through it. And Jesse Marsh. Wow. Just unbelievable. Now I did visit with leads, Twitter, which I, and Leeds social media after that, which I do regularly. And there was still criticism. <sighs> Still criticism, and I, I guess I get it. I guess I understand it. This is the kind of result we should be having against Norwich. In fact, it should be easier. Was the tone of some of it?
1: That doesn't but shock. I, me. That doesn't shock me to hear that.
0: I don't. It Norwich are shock terrible.
1: Me. Now Leeds haven't correct. been great by any stretch of the imagination either. But like, in a game where you barely beat the worst team in the league in any sport, you'll have a section of a fan base that will feel that way.
0: Yeah, you will. I do think though that when you're when you're in this, what's the phrase? Any port in a storm. You'll just take whatever yes, you can yes. get, and suddenly things are looking, albeit with the advantage of three games over Everton and two over Burnley. It's looking a little bit brighter for Leeds there. First win in five. Big big win.
1: Yeah, uh, and then finally Tottenham beat Brighton earlier today. Uh, I mention this because a little bit of history was made. Harry Kane, J.J., scored. Uh, he's now scored 95 goals in 139 appearances away from home in the Premier League, becoming the competition's all-time top scorer in away games, despite making 104 fewer appearances in in away games than the second-place person on that list, which is Wayne Rooney.
0: Pretty impressive.
1: That's an amazing uh, road goal-scoring record.
0: I um, I wonder if we fully appreciate the pelt at which he has been scoring goals, the pace, the consistency at which he's been scoring goals, albeit, uh, albeit, you know, not as much this season um, because of his moody start.
1: He's been very good lately, though.
0: He has been. But generally, how good has he been since he first got into the squad, started scoring? He's never relinquished that role as the number one guy, and he's just... He hasn't just gone on from that and got better. He's got stratospherically good. Um, totally
1: agree. So yeah. I was
0: watching. I had Sky on because it is a pleasure to be at home and be able to flick through the the Sky the many Sky channels and watch some soccer. Guess what game was on, Andrew?
1: Uh, this is a, an old game? Yeah. I mean, if, if I were able to guess something like that, then I would <laughs> I probably leave here right now and... and play the lottery
0: championship playoff Semi Final 2013 the Deeney game the, the Elmunia Deeney game the Elmunia Knockart Zola Deeney game guess who was playing center forward in that game for Leicester um Vardy a fresh faced boy called Harry Kane
1: oh my god
0: yeah didn't hadn't realized it before there he was. And he does look extremely fresh-faced. Um, still with the classic Kane haircut, but um, he held the ball up a couple of times. Um, he had one chance that he just couldn't get on the end of it, and he had one, uh, one ball where he centered it and there was no one there. And he was playing in a Nigel Pearson side, which I'm sure was very different to what he ultimately would break into under Pochettino. But it's only twenty, only twenty thirteen. Incredible. And yeah, he went from a bit part player there, a guy who didn't score on the loan, to this machine of a goal scorer. It's it's truly amazing.
1: Yeah, um, some American quick hitters, JJ. Before we get out on this uh, this edition of Caught Offside, wound up being a little more dramatic than they might have expected. But NYCFC advanced the Concacaf Champions League semifinals five five on aggregate. Uh, I think they thought they were home free, and then three goals made the uh, six minutes of stoppage time terrifying for them. But NYCFC do survive, and they're into the semis.
0: Yeah, I. You will forgive me if I did not pick up on this game. Um, I wasn't able to find a channel to watch it on um, on the here on the west coast of Ireland. But uh, I, when you when you look at what NYCFC are in, in terms they their MLS champions in terms of like also just city football group if you're a supporter of uh Communicaciones, you've got to feel pretty good about yourself that was mm-hmm. a, one hell of an effort from them
1: uh, yeah I would agree with that but uh, this run that NYCFC are on right now is uh, is pretty impressive and you're starting to see even now young players emerge Talis Magno looks like he's starting to round into form and be a real threat for this team so We'll see where this goes. I mean, I know how highly you thought of them before the season. You said they were the best team in MLS, and um, maybe they've been a little slower to show it in league play. But in the in this competition, they're they're in it. They're not far off. And it looks like I mean, I'm not going to go too much deeper right now because there's other games going on um, that would be silly to to analyze now, not knowing the results. But Looks like they might be joined. I mean, New England has a three-goal lead going into the second leg tonight. Um, Montreal looks like they're in trouble. They're probably going out. That's at the half. But at any rate, yeah, we'll probably see multiple American teams in the, uh, in the semifinals of this competition. This could be the year. This could be the year. Uh, and then finally, JJ, we wanted to just mention quickly, um, I don't know exactly what our recording schedule will be next week. Obviously, I know we'll do an, a bonus podcast after the U.S. and Mexico. Busy, I would imagine. Yeah. Vacation
0: will, is going to end with a, with a with a crash for JJ. But
1: there's a chance that this will be our last pod before World Cup qualifying resumes with that U.S.-Mexico game. So we just wanted to kind of get the temperature of where things are at leading into those games. Um, I was reading Matt Doyle up at MLSsoccer.com. He posed a really interesting thought, and that is essentially – USA Mexico is always going to be the marquee fixture and this one is obviously incredibly important, but he suggested that Greg Berhalter essentially fight the urge of going out there and playing his A squad for that one because (laughs) that next game at home against Panama is the one that you have to win and you just want to make sure you have your best group for that one. he even mentioned. I'm trying to remember. I think it's Tyler Adams who uh, is on a one more yellow would cause him to be suspended. If maybe you don't play him against Mexico, um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember exactly what his permutations were of how. i have to go back and look. But it's interesting. It's an interesting thought that the U.S. would not go full bore uh, at the Azteca in, I, in a huge uh, game.
0: I don't see how he. I don't see how you do that. I. I, I It'd be bold. I saw it and I I thought about it, but I think it would be—it'd be very, very tough to sell that one. I, I just—I think you, it's such a massive game, um, such a massive rivalry, and I think you have to believe that you're able to do, to do both things—to beat Panama at home, and to be able to—but then um, it might come
1: down to that final Costa Rica at Costa Rica, where the U.S. never plays well. It's is this is stressful. I mean, honestly, this is stressful. You know, some of the stuff I'm looking at going into this, these final few games. Uh, Matt Turner has been hurt. Zach Steffen has been hurt. Now he did come back and was in the squad for Manchester City, um, but you know he hasn't really gotten much time in a couple months. Um, so like, is 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 this the return of Horvath? Who you know he's played in four straight games for Nottingham Forest. Um, only conceded one goal in those games. Uh, the fact that I mean, uh, the fact that Stefan is technically back for Man City, I would think that that would probably be who they would go with. But I don't know. It's a little, it's a little bit uncomfortable going into these final qualifiers, not really being settled on who is going to be in net for the U.S. That would stress me out a little bit. Um, I would imagine
0: though, if 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 they can, if Stefan is available and Stefan starts, isn't that the one conclusion we've come to after? I would, a I would think,
1: but I but. I mean, I guess if his fitness, yeah, I suppose if his fitness was enough for Man City to put him in a match day squad, then that should be enough. But I mean, he, we'll
0: see. We clearly, Greg doesn't think he has to play games for his club for him to start. So as long as he's fit, then he plays, right? I, I yeah.
1: suppose. I suppose. Um, the other thing I'm wondering if Greg has the courage to do. I have now brought this up multiple times. I'm becoming a cheerleader for this guy. That situation up front, it still feels unsettled. Jordan P. Still scoring goals over the weekend, scored his sixth goal in the last seven games. Leads the Swiss league with 17 goals and 25 appearances. I guess this is my question: Are we not taking him seriously because of the league that he is doing this in? Who's we? Though? Not not you. I'm not talking about you. A general we. I feel like there's not there's there's no push that I hear for him. It's Sergeant. Uh, yeah, it's I don't. I just am not hearing. Like considering how well he's playing. He's going to be the golden boot winner potentially in in his league. That's that's really that's significant to me. And he's doing it now. Like right now he's in his best form. And I mean, who else really is at that position? If it's because of the league that he's in that people are kind of rolling their eyes, look, I I, I worry to say this because you know, you know JJ that I am an ardent defender of MLS. I believe in right. it. I believe the people s on it unfairly. Um <laughs> but But I would say this with regards to PFAC. Um, GlobalFootballRankings.com, they use data from 538, from SPI data. They rank all the leagues in the world. MLS, according to their rankings, is 17th. The Swiss League is 15th. Are you going to tell me that let's just pretend Ricardo Pepe was still at FC Dallas And he had scored 17 goals in 25 appearances in MLS. Are you going to tell me American fans wouldn't be like slipping into convulsions if old Triple G didn't bring him for crucial World Cup qualifiers? The outroar would be—it'd be deafening. So, like, why should it not be all that different here for this guy who's in that kind of form in a league that, judging off of certain metrics, is actually better than MLS?
0: Andrew. Let's go through this one more time. Uh-huh. This is what Greg Berhalter said in the past when PFOC was left. Um, I, I don't
1: want to hear that PFOC is only capable of playing in one specific system. I don't. He, I just don't buy that.
0: This is what he said last time, which was last September. Jordan PFOC, that was certainly a difficult decision and was based on how we see the games playing out. It was based on the depth that we see in the striker position and our need in these games for some verticality and some speed to get behind the back line. He just...
1: He's not a sloth. Like, I've seen... Look, I'm not watching a ton of of his games, but i watch the highlights of these goals and see how he plays. And
0: this is what Hunter said about his goals. He says we see him scoring his goals a lot of times on crosses, short crosses, set pieces, when the team is compact deep in their penalty box. We want more verticality this camp. We want players that can stretch the opponent's back line, run behind the opponent's back line, whether that's our wingers or our forwards, and that's what we chose for. I'm sick saying it, Andrew. God he forbid sees, we
1: have somebody who's capable of scoring on set pieces.
0: Right. He sees things as, he sees it differently. He sees it as, a, you know, a forward line with almost a more fluid mobile three. And he doesn't see, um, he doesn't see PFOC in that role. Now, if we're going down this road, though, and you, and, and you broach the question, well, is it the league that they play in? Well, what about Christian Ramirez at Aberdeen in the Scottish Premiership? He has thirty appearances, ten goals, three assists for Aberdeen. He's in the starting eleven all the time. He plays nearly all the minutes, and he's forty percent of their goal participation. And he's in the UEFA uh, Conference League, three goals, one assist. I mean, surely, surely there should be a case for him too.
1: Where is the? uh, I'm looking now. Where the Scottish League is? That's nineteenth
0: that's 19th in the in the yeah. coefficients. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm just saying there's there are other there are other leagues and other players. I mean, look, have, that
1: one would you're not wrong for bringing it up. That one would surprise me just because he hasn't really like PFOC has been a part of the the structure, cr- the picture. Like right. he had I know it's been a while since they've brought him in, but he's he's played games with this team. Like that Sure. That the Ramirez would be a little bit more out of left field um, but I hear you like if this were a, a different time in qualifying I would say sure but just for like the importance of these games and the form that he's in I just I don't know and and the fact that the U.S. has a hole there uh, so we'll see this time tomorrow we'll know the squad and I eagerly anticipate it do you think Gio Reyna will be a part of it
0: I think he should be um, I saw him assist tonight on a vital a uh, victory for Borussia Dortmund. A uh, free kick, Andrew, against Mainz late in the game. Um, beautiful delivery, floated delivery to the back post. And Axel Witzel was there to convert it and put uh, Dortmund four points off Bayern Munich. So to put a little bit of pressure on with uh, 26 games played. And he looked he, he's fit. He's creative. hes He looked good. He held his foot uh, in a rather horrifying fashion and was on the ground for a little bit where I was concerned after a, a, a tackle um, towards the end of the game, and I thought, you can't be serious. He hasn't just set up the winner and now he's going to be injured. But um, in terms of 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 that kind of creative attacking forward player, yes, he's got to be in the squad. Got to
1: bring him. Totally agree. And I don't know if 100%. he can give him 90 minutes, but his talent is of a level where if he can... If he can give you something, um, you got to bring him. I, I totally endorse and agree with that idea. It's going to be fun, I guess. I don't know. Maybe not.
0: It's going to be fun, Andrew. We always make it fun. And this is, uh, you know, it's one of the staples of this podcast our reaction podcasts and um, sweaty, nervous Andrew.
1: <laughs> yeah, people love that. Sweaty, nervous uh um yeah we'll we'll definitely do one after that it's a it's a late one jj god in heaven i mean what do we do i guess it's 10 o'clock what is that
0: Uh, yeah but on my vacation it is currently five minutes past one that's true yeah we gotta
1: no we gotta get you to bed yeah but
0: i'll be ready for next week don't you once worry i i will put in whatever hours it takes for this podcast i am committed.
1: I've never doubted that, not even for a second. Uh, well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Ireland. Um, I hope you're having a great time. Have a Guinness on me tomorrow at St. Patrick's Day. Well, not really on me. Uh, maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some money when you get back.
0: All right? <laughs> Just remind me. Immediately. Oh, my God. <laughs> Offers to buy me a drink, immediately rethinks it. <laughs> uh, this was fun, my friend. To you,
1: I say... Take it later, fun boy. I'll
0: see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.